listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. Seems like they're all question and answer episodes lately. I do have some interviews that I want to get arranged and record, but I haven't done them yet. They're, uh... But that'll happen. Eventually. The questions keep rolling in. Anyhow, I like the question and answer episodes. I hope you do, too. Uh, what? let's see. What's on my bench? Uh, I'm resetting the neck and fixing a bunch of cracks on a Gibson J150 an acoustic guitar that was sent to me. Um, and it's kind of mangled. It's a little bit mangled. I think, I think what someone tried to do, I think someone either tried to take the back off or they tried to do the, uh, uh, the weird neck reset where you loosen the block from the back and then slip the block to, to tilt the neck a little bit and then glue it back on. I, but they gave up halfway through. It's just, they ended up mangling the back. There's a bunch of cracks down the back. They couldn't get it off cleanly, and they messed up the binding and put a crack in the heel. Well, Yeah, it's a little bit mangled. It's not, it's not terribly bad. In fact, the rest of the guitar is really pretty clean and has a nice aged patina, really good look to it. It's a cool. 60s guitar. Cool. Yeah, it, I think it'll turn out really nice. It's going to have a few battle scars, but that's inevitable on a, you know, it's hard to uh, unmangle a guitar. Right. Once it's been, my my boss, my old boss at Emerald City Guitars used to say, once you've made a cucumber into a pickle, it's hard to make it back into a cucumber again. I didn't know he said that, but I love it. Yeah. Especially because I love pickles and you hate them. I do. I don't like pickles. Uh, so what else is on my bench? I've been making custom pickups and rewinding a lot of pickups. That just seems to be an ongoing thing. I do have some custom guitars in the works right now. I've got two that are the paint is curing and another two that I've just started painting. I got so I've got four of them being built right now. Cool. Yeah, which is kind of exciting. Neat. And then I think I've got two or three more that I need to get started on once I get a couple out the door. Yeah. 
Cool. Working on a lot of great stuff. Nice. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, can you tell our lovely listeners about the merch we have now? Yes, we have stickers available now. Whoa. We will also have t-shirts sometime soon. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. I don't know about soon. Within you know. the next five to ten years. No, come on. We will have t-shirts <laughs> available, but we do, yes, we have stickers available right now. Woo. If you go to pinupcustomguitars.com and click buy. You can find them. There are several things there. You can custom order guitars. You can buy custom made pickups. I'm going to be putting, uh, there, oh, there's, there's pick guards there. Uh, but one of the things that's available there is a pack of stickers. And if you don't want to buy through Eric's website for whatever reason, you can go to melcoleather.com. Oh, did you list yours I too? I listed there? them, and you can buy guitar straps. Uh, soon I'll have pick guards listed and stickers. Yeah, so for just a couple of bucks, you could get a Fret Files podcast sticker, a pinup custom guitar sticker, and a Melco leather sticker. It's the family pack. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Anyhow, that's what's new with us. Let's find out what's new with you all, shall we? Yeah. I think we have a phone call here. Let's uh let's let's take it. Sounds good. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Joe from Virginia. Hope you and the family are well. Um had a couple questions, please. First is I've got a SG and the action at the nut is right on point to where I like it. It's nice and low. The action at the bridge is a little higher than I'd like it to be. Now, this has the two adjustment uh, wheels that you can uh, turn up right or left. And to, I started lowering it, and it started buzzing. Is there anything I can do to lower the action and eliminate the buzz? Second question is, on your custom orders, is seven-string guitars and humbucker pickups available? I would imagine the answer would be no, but it doesn't hurt to ask. And a funny little side note, I called the wrong number and actually got to speak to you in person, Eric, and you were super nice. I was actually taken aback at first because I thought I was going to get the recording and kind of didn't know what to say, like, hey, I'm talking to this famous guy. But it was pretty cool. Anyway... Thanks for all the hard work you do, and Melissa, thank you for the way you ask certain questions to Eric that helps explain it to someone like myself of a novice level. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Joe. Joe from Virginia. Yeah, I talked to Joe for a second on the phone there. He uh, he just called the, you know, my shop number. Yeah, the number to call if you if you want to call into the podcast. By the way, the number is it's a specific number. It's seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two, and that'll just take you right to a recording. If you want to contact me, call the number on ericdaw.com. You go to ericdaw.com. There's a phone number. There's email. Any number of ways to contact me if you have an actual repair you want me to do, or a pickup you need me to rewind, or something like that. Anyhow, Joe. Uh, it was no problem. I don't mind when people call. Uh, this is my full-time job. It's not like you're bothering me. This is all I do. So, you know, call me about guitars. It's great. Yeah, and you'll get to talk to somebody famous, too. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm not famous. <laughs> Let's get that straight. <laughs> but um, 
now I've completely forgotten his questions. Uh, oh, you're SG. So then he's got the nut dialed into where he likes it. But he's he can't get the action low enough without buzzing. So uh, there's a few things that we need to uh, talk about before we start talking about lowering the bridge. And uh, it's mainly the neck and the frets. So you want to make sure that, that you've got your truss rod adjusted so that your neck is just about as straight as you can get it, maybe with a little bit of relief in it or forward bow, just a tiny bit. And uh, if you are not comfortable adjusting your own truss rod, then, um, you know, I understand, but that's what needs to be done. You have to make sure that your neck is adjusted so that the the neck is relatively straight. Once you've done that, you need to make sure that the frets are level from one to the next. You might have high or low frets there that's causing buzzing, and uh, there's nothing you can do with the bridge that's going to help that unless you address the issue with the frets. So if your uh, neck is straight and the frets are relatively level, you should be able to lower those strings to where you get a nice, comfortable action with pretty much no buzzing. Now, I get a lot of customers who say, I want the action as low as possible with no buzzing. And you have to keep in mind that you can make any guitar buzz Right. If you hit it hard enough. I'm excellent at making guitars buzz. Uh, there's a certain way to pluck the strings where you're just going to make it buzz no matter what's going on. So some of it can be technique. You know, that is worth mentioning. Uh, it's The trick is to pluck the string so it doesn't buzz. Right. Right? Right. But I'll have people pick up their guitars sometimes, and they the first thing they want to do is they pick it up and they will fret, like, you know, the third fret on the bass string, and they pluck it as hard as they can and say, well, it's buzzing. Well, do you play like that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do, you, do you get up on stage and do that? Because, you know, anyway, my point is it takes some finesse. But uh, you need to make sure the neck is straight and the frets are level. What you can do... On your frets is if you take a straight edge and put it on your frets, that will show you uh, if you have high points and low points. If you've got one fret that a small straight edge rocks back and forth on, then you've got a high fret there. So, it you know, it takes, a, it takes patience and it takes uh, a careful eye to, to see these kind of things. And to see if things are straight and and to see if your frets are level. But uh, that may be what you're up against. You might have too much neck relief. You might have uneven frets. You might have um, a warped neck. You know, I don't know. Without seeing it, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, but you should be able to get a low action if the frets and the neck are straight. The other thing you can try if... if if you've got the neck as straight as you can get it and you're confident that those frets are level, but you're still getting buzz with the action where you want it, try a heavier gauge string. A heavier gauge string um, is tighter at the same pitch, so it's less prone to fret buzz. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's another thing you could try. Anyhow, he also asked about my custom guitars. No, I really I don't make seven strings, and I do occasionally make a guitar with a humbucker. If somebody really twists my arm, I make. Uh, I, I I've been making some tele style guitars with humbuckers in the neck, you know. So I you know it can be done, but uh, it's not really what I specialize in. It's not really what I do, but yeah, I can do that. Was that it? What did he have more questions? Uh, I don't think I don't so. Think so thanks, Joe. We've got a lot of emails. Shall we read them? Let's do it. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Why are seventies Martins so much undervalued compared to earlier? and even later years. I thought acoustics just sound better the older they get, barring any damage. That's from Eric in California. Mm-hmm. So full disclosure here. I stole this question from the Internet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I saw it on Facebook. How dare you? A gentleman named Eric who lives in California was asking the Vintage Martin Guitar Forum on Facebook there. And? Uh, and he got a lot of different answers, and I answered too, and some people didn't like what I had to say. Some people did. I don't know. What are you going to do? However, here's my answer. Not everybody's hip to what a great value those 70s Martins are. Now, that's the short answer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're using the word undervalued, which, in, you know, insinuates that you think they're undervalued, as as do I. They are a bargain. Now, are they as good as earlier Martins? Uh, I would say, you know, that good is a relative term. Uh, better is a relative thing, but uh, there are differences. For example, they started using a larger bridge plate. Uh, they stopped using hide glue and started using, like, carpenter's glue, like tight bond kind of glue. Mm -hmm. So there were some changes uh, that a lot of players and collectors feel uh, damaged the sound, not damaged, inhibited the tone of the guitars compared to earlier versions, right? So you've got like pre-war Martins that are worth amazing amounts of money. And then 50s and 60s Martins up until about, what was it, 68 when they they stopped using Brazilian rosewood. And then the price really plummets. I mean, if you you buy a, a Martin Dreadnought from, if you look at the price, 67 versus a, a 72, there's a big price difference. Well, that's only a few years. Right. It shouldn't be that big of a price difference. But they made some changes that a lot of collectors didn't like. And then later, some of those changes uh, went away. And they, you know, they, they make, they Martin still makes great guitars. Um, but my initial statement still stands. I think they're a great value. I think they are a great guitar and they're undervalued and they're a bargain. They're the bargain in the vintage Martin world. Those seventies Martins really are. And as the earlier ones continue to climb in price, those seventies Martins look better and better. Well, how much does a seventies Martin cost? Well, it depends on the model, right? It depends on the condition. But, I mean, like, is it a 
$8,000 guitar or a... So if you're like a, like a Martin D28, if you're going to buy a Martin D28 from the 60s, you might spend four, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000, depending on the condition. Right. $5,000 or so for a late 60s, like a 67 Martin D28. You could probably get one all day long for $5,000. Okay. Uh, just go forward a few years mm-hmm. in the early 70s, and you're looking at... Uh, Maybe two thousand. Oh wow, that big of a difference. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, and again, it depends on condition. As with any vintage guitar, with any antique, really. But with any vintage guitar, you're looking at three factors: condition, rarity, and demand. And another thing that uh, you know, those are the three things that that determine the price, determine the value. Condition, rarity, and demand. And the other factor that we're looking at here is Martin's output went way up in the 70s. They started making more guitars. Right. And so there's more of them to go around. They're not as rare. Hmm. Hence, they're not as valuable. The earlier ones, there's far fewer of them to go around. And they're the desirable ones. Right. So that's another factor. So there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of reasons for all of that. But I thought that was interesting. And uh, so I stole it. I stole it from Facebook. I did not change his name. I didn't use his last name, though. Yeah, that's probably the best. Eric in Ojai, California, if you're listening, I stole your question from the Internet. Hi, Eric. I've been eyeing your Strat-style guitars on your website, but I have a question. Can the pickups be noiseless? I can't stand the single-coil hum. Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Simon. If you go to pinupcustomguitars.com, you'll see you can custom order a Strat-style guitar there, and the pickup options are as follows. You can have them underwound, you can have normal wind, or you can have them overwound. (laughs) There is not a noiseless option. Uh, And the reason for that is that I just don't make those. Now, you could buy one of my Strat-style guitars and replace the pickups with any noiseless brand that that you prefer if you just can't stand the hum. But here's my two cents. Those noiseless Strat pickups don't sound as good. There's no way to make a single coil pickup noiseless without adding another coil. So they're really not single coil pickups. They're, it's either a stacked coil or a side-by-side coil. It has some kind of it, maybe a dummy coil. There's another coil there to make it noiseless. There's no other way to do it. There is no magic bullet to kill the hum other than another coil that's reverse wound in the opposite direction and reverse polarity, reverse magnetic polarity. And that cancels out the hum. So there is no way to make a single coil pickup noiseless. You can only do that by adding another coil. So it is now a humbucker. So whether you like it or not, those are humbuckers, those noiseless strat pickups that look like single coils. They're humbuckers. They don't sound like single coils. I really prefer the sound of the single coils so much that I will absolutely live with the pretty insignificant amount of hum they have 
because the tone is so much better, in my opinion. Now, that's just my opinion, and, you know, it is what it is. And if your opinion differs, then that's great. If you like the noiseless pickups, more power to you, you know. Have a good time. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people do like them. And there's, they're made by a number of different... I mean, you can get Fender noiseless pickups. You can get Kinman noiseless pickups. You can get this brand X, brand Y, brand Z. I just don't make them. So if you really, 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 really wanted one with noiseless pickups, I suppose you could buy the pickups, send them to me, and I can put them in the guitar and discount the price of the guitar accordingly. Uh, but you'd really have to twist my arm. I don't really want to do that. And the reason is, I, I, I don't think that they sound that great. And I, I would like to convince you that uh, a standard single coil, the tone is better than the noiseless pickup. All right, Simon. Yeah, that's my opinion. Thanks. Thanks, Simon. Hi, Eric and Melissa. My father and I recently had our first experience working with hide glue. After stumbling a bit, we sought some pointers from one of our most respected acoustic instrument builders and repairmen in my area. He said that although he has lots of experience working with high glue, he now, he now prefers using fish glue. <laughs> I've listed, I've listened to probably three quarters of all the Fret Files podcast and heard many of the questions on high glue versus tight bond, but I don't recall any discussions about fish glue. Uh, I don't think I've ever even heard of fish glue before. Do you have any knowledge on fish glue you can share? Would you recommend it for building or repairing guitars as an alternative to hide glue or tight bond? Thanks. Blake in Connecticut. Cool, Blake. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, I've absolutely heard of, of fish glue. One of the bonuses of fish glue, or one of the uh, one of the pluses, is that it's supposed to be more like hide glue. It's a natural glue. But unlike hide glue, it doesn't have to be used hot. It's like a shelf stable. You just use it right out of the bottle. So it doesn't have to be heated up to 145 degrees like hide glue does. Well, it sounds great. It almost sounds too good to be true. And in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, it is. And the reason I think that is because one of... The most respected luthiers in the world, and in fact, I think he might be the most, at least for me, he's the most respected guy in the world when it comes to restoring vintage Martins and repairing guitars and building guitars, and his name is T.J. Thompson. And T.J. Thompson told a story about how he switched to fish glue years ago, made a few guitars, and thought, man, this glue is awesome. It's easy. It's uh, it's natural. It's it's great. I don't have to heat up glue. He made a few guitars using fish glue, and uh, lo and behold, not long after that, uh, you know, he sent the guitars out to the customers, and uh, they all started coming apart. Oh dear! Yeah, all of the glue joints started failing. So he had to take those guitars apart and redo them with hide glue. And he swore he would never use fish glue again. And I'm just going to take his advice and not use fish glue. 
maybe he got a bad batch. Maybe he got, I don't know. Right. But we already have the best thing. It's called hide glue. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for an alternative. I don't mind that it's a bit of a pain in the neck to use. Because it works. Because it's perfect. It's the perfect glue. Uh, is fit is, is fish the brand or is is it made from fish? It's literally made out of no. It's made by fish. There's <laughs> fish. They mix the glue in in a little in a tiny fish factory and they work in there. It's under it's all underwater. Yeah, it's made out of out of fish. I don't know what kind. Don't ask me. I don't know anything more about it. Don't know, but it's made out of fish. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Delicious fish. I've recently moved out of a flat, which is an apartment for you guys on the other side of the pond, and into a house with a seller. He's renting, not purchasing. I was hoping to set up a small workshop in the cellar, but after checking the humidity levels down there, it's averaging 80% humidity at 15 to 16 degrees Celsius, which I have no idea. Yeah, what's that in American? Uh, <laughs> storing wood there is clearly a bad idea. But were I to get a few small machines, like a bench chop drill press and a small th- thicknesser, I don't know what that is, should I be concerned about damage to these machines from the high humidity? If so, do you think a dehumidifier would help the situation, or would hoping to repurpose this space be a fool's errand? Bear in mind that I can't do anything structural or apply damp proofing as this is still a rental property. I am quite disappointed as I was really hoping to make more progress on my guitar builds in a dedicated space. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks to you for thanks to you both for a great podcast. Luke. Thank you, Luke. Uh, you know, I have a lot of experience in this uh, particular subject, so I can tell you, absolutely. Get the dehumidifier, mm-hmm. and it will work. Uh, we had... We formerly lived in Seattle, which is basically a swamp, a rainforest. And the the humidity in my shop and in the house would run about 80%, 70-80% if you didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, which is really high. I mean, it's like it. I was worried it was going to start raining inside. I mean, that's high humidity yeah, for indoors. Yeah, we would get condensation on the walls and stuff sometimes. So, uh... I ran a dehumidifier, one in the house and one in the shop, and it absolutely worked and helped. I mean, it really, really helped. I would dump gallons of water out of that thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it would knock the humidity down to like 50%. And uh, I don't know what 15 or 16 degrees Celsius is in Fahrenheit, but I would assume that's cold. That seems like that would be cold, right? I'm not even going to guess. I honestly don't know. Oh, well, a heater would help, too. I mean, just put a space heater and a dehumidifier uh, down there. So, um, okay, so I just looked it up. So that's 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, well, that's so, normal. Yeah. Well, it's a little on the chilly side, but not. And it's not quite room temperature. Right. But, uh, yeah, a, a, a space heater of some kind will will also dry it out just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, run a dehumidifier. It really will help. It really will. I, I, I did that when we lived in Seattle, and it was a huge help. Cool. 
Yeah. Thanks, Luke. Greetings, Mr. and Mrs. Daw. I have recently discovered your podcast, and I have to admit that I am quite smitten with it. You two are adorable. Well, she is. I'm kind of a grumpy old uh, curmudgeon. curmudgeon. Uh, Eric needs to get a tape recorder to keep his shop to keep in his shop to capture ideas, notes, and experiences for his eventual book. <laughs> Uh, after playing, buying, selling, browsing, and being in love with guitar culture for over 20 years, I finally settled in with Telecasters with a four-way switch mod and vintage Dan Electros, even some early 90s reissues, and Silvertones. It was a long, expensive, and amazing journey. Hearing that you favor these kinds of guitars makes me smile. So here are the questions. Melissa, do you ever make straps that are just the skinny part of a spaghetti strap? No shoulder pad deal? I really like these for Dan Electros. Thank you. Yes, I do. Uh, I'll make whatever you want, man. Just get in contact with me. Do you have them listed on your website? I do not. Uh, I have spaghetti straps with shoulder pad listed, Mm -hmm. but not any without. I imagine that would be uncomfortable, though. I mean, there's a reason that there's the shoulder pad. A yeah. skinny strap's going to cut into your arm. It wouldn't be shoulder. too bad because Dan Electros are very light. Yeah. But yeah, I can do that if that's what you want. Just get in contact with me. Uh, Eric, have you found that each and every guitar likes to have its own gauge of strings? I had a Guild S100 that was a dog until I found the strings it agreed with. I heard you say 90% of your guitars ship with 10s, and if they are T-type guitars, I mostly agree, but I've struggled with setups, and I found that going from straight 10s to 9 to 46, or whatever can make a guitar truly happy. I think players need to take the time and buy a a handful of different string gauges and brands and see what happens. Don't get locked into something. Maybe a guitar you can't bond with could become something inspirational. Sorry for being long-winded. I appreciate you both. All the best, Ross. Thank you, Ross. Yeah, Dan Electros and Telecasters. That's my thing, too, man. I love those. Um, absolutely. Uh, so he wants to know if I found that different guitars like to have their own st- gauge of strings. Well, it's all relative, Ross, and the... Th- the thing we're dealing here with is um, it's it's up to the opinion of the player. You know, you might hand me uh, your Guild S100 that has 9 through 46 on it, and I might think, you might think it's perfect, and I might think they're too light. You know, it's all relative. So it's about finding, you're absolutely right, it's about finding the strings that you're happy with on that guitar. So uh, on that we agree, and... There's a lot of different factors um, that will affect the way a guitar feels, one being scale length. So, you know, a shorter scale guitar versus a longer scale guitar. Strings will feel slinkier on or stiffer on. Or if a guitar has very big frets, that can make the strings feel heavier than they are. So there's a lot of different factors, and if you're normally a 10 through 46 player, and you have one guitar that just seems to favor 9s or 11s or whatever, yeah, you can absolutely experiment. It's all relative. It really is. It's all relative and, and personal preference. Um, 
for example, I use on my on my main guitars, I use 11-gauge flat wounds. Wow. And most players wouldn't like that. But you do. But I do. That's what I like. Neat. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Ross. Thank, thank you, Ross. Appreciate it. Hi. Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured guitar pick of the day and reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So. I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, so thank you for listening and now back to the show. 
Eric and Mel. So about a year ago, I picked up a Relic's Telly. When it arrived to me, I should have known better. The finish had completely cracked in shipping and had come off in a big sheet. The seller was good about it, had me send it back, and had somebody fix it. Well, a year later, I discover, as I was about to sell it, that the fix was nothing more than some weak weak glue that, when slightly heated, would give away and peel off again. Tonight, I just bit the bullet and decided to strip the finish. With heat gun, stripper, and drop drop cloth ready, I went ahead and slid the stripping knife under a crack. Fifteen minutes later, the old finish is completely gone. My question is... What kind of junk finish is this so I don't ever see this mistake again? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, I don't know what kind of finish that would be. He sent me some pictures, actually. Yeah, I saw him. It's like like a potato chip. The yeah, the finish was just off. flaking off. Here's my guess, because I've I've seen I've seen guitars painted with like rattle can Krylon that turned out pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but I don't think it's the paint uh, because really even pretty crummy paint can be, can look nice and be done right if you do your prep work properly. My guess is that he uh, either used an incompatible base coat or a bad primer or just poor prep work. Uh, In other words, I think it was a technique uh, improper technique rather than bad paint. That's hmm. just my guess. You know, that maybe he used a, a, a sealer that wasn't compatible with the paint that he used or a, a, a base coat that wasn't compatible with the, the color. And so they didn't stick, it didn't adhere properly, so it just came off in big sheets. Wow. That's my guess, you know. It's, I don't think it's the paint's fault, it's more the painter. Right. In this in this case. Anyway, anyhow. Thanks, Mike. Howdy. I've recently purchased a used reissue 56 Dan Electro Baritone with a Coke bottle neck Coke bottle headstock. Those are so cool. I'm having trouble finding info on the wiring and pickups. Are these wired in series or parallel? Also, are the stock pickups in reverse polarity from each other like many of the replacement pickups? On a side note, have you ever used a Seymour Duncan pickup booster pedal with a Dano? And if so, was it cool? Thanks for your time, and I love the show. Rick. Thank you, Rick. I've, I have di- I have used that Seymour Duncan pickup boost- booster pedal years ago when it came out. It must have been, it must have been 10 years ago. Uh, I, it, yeah, it's just a clean boost. You know, they call it a pickup booster like it's specifically works with your pickups somehow but i don't know i don't know not i'm i'm just not big on pedals i'm probably the wrong guy to ask i don't even own any whoa um so i'm i'm the wrong guy to ask i just i plug a a fender guitar straight into a fender amp you know or a or a dan electro guitar or you know i just plug a guitar right into a amp right so, um, I'm the wrong guy to ask on pedals. Uh, on your other question, uh, I don't know for absolute certain because the, it's, we're talking about a reissue and I primary, primarily know about the vintage Dan Electros, but, uh, I think I know enough about the reissues to, I'm, I'm almost certain 
like 99% certain that those are wired in series because uh, traditionally all of the multiple pickup Dan Electros are wired in series. Um, and the reason they do that is because uh, Dano pickups are pretty low output. You know, sometimes they're like 4K ohms. So uh, if you wire them in parallel, it cuts the output down really low, like to 2, 2K ohms, and it, it gets pretty quiet. So uh, in series, they get punchier instead of wimpy sounding. So I'm pretty certain that they're series. They, they kind of have to be. Uh, and in order to wire them series, Dan Electros use a special three-way switch. It's an on-off-on switch, and it's unlike almost any other guitar, you know, three-way toggle switch. Uh, it's an on-off-on switch. So anyhow, um, but you could test that and see if their series are parallel. If you put an ohm meter to the jack or, you know, plug a cable into the jack and put an ohm meter on the cable and see if the output goes up or down when you're in the middle position on the switch. And if it goes up, it's wired in series. And if it goes down, it's wired in parallel. So you could test that yourself. But I, I can almost guarantee you that that's wired in series. So when you're in the middle position, it's wired in series. And I doubt that they're uh, reverse polarity, reverse wound. I mean, I guess it's possible on the reissues. I don't, like I say, I don't know for 100% sure. But um, I don't think that Dan Electro has ever done that. Vintage Dan Electros or new Dan Electros, they're... They're, they don't do reverse wound pickups. Um, again, you could test that if you put it like a compass or a, or a polarity tester, a magnetic polarity tester up to the pickup. Uh, then you could determine the magnetic orientation of each pickup. And if they're the same, then, then they're not reverse wound. If the two pickups have different magnetic polarities, then they are indeed reverse wound, reverse polarity. But I, I bet you, I mean, I can almost tell you with absolute certainty that they're not. Uh, and the reason being is that Dano pickups and Dan Electroelectronics are, they're really well shield, shielded. So they hard, I mean, they hardly have any hum at all, mm. you know, especially for single coil guitars. So I don't think they do any that are reverse wound for hum canceling because they don't need to. They're, they're pretty quiet. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Indeed. <clears throat> Thanks, Rick. Hello. Hearing you say that lefty guitars use reverse log pots and the awesome links that you go to to build your own reminded me of a simple circuit that approximates a log pot. The circuit is described here, and uh, he gives a URL. I'll put that URL link in the show notes at fretfiles.com. Okay. Uh, perhaps this is an old trick or one that is problematic and already discarded, in which case, I'm sorry. It uses a linear pot and a resistor that is one-sixth to one-tenth the pot's resistance attached across the pot's wiper and one of the other lugs. Attached to the clockwise lug, is it is logarithmic. On the counterclockwise lug, it makes it a reverse log. The pot and the extra resistor are in parallel, so it does change what the loading of the pickups as you turn the control. For instance, a one-meg pot with a 120k resistor will load the pickups with one meg when the knob is turned down, but just a little over 100k when the knob is turned all the way up. I have never tried this circuit in a guitar, and this interaction might be a desirable or 
might be desirable or a total deal breaker. Just thought I'd put this idea out there for guitarists, regardless of the configuration of limbs they use. Yeah. Love the show, and I was excited to get a little leather shop talk last episode, too. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Tyler Smith Wright. Thank you, Tyler. That's a pretty slick trick to use a linear pot and use a resistor to make it logarithmic. My problem is uh, with it that you're still going to have a load on it, even when it's turned all the way up, which means uh, it's going it, to it's gonna decrease the output just slightly. So it's still shunting a little bit, tiny bit of signal to ground, even when the pot is turned all the way up, if I understand it correctly. And that's like having just a, like a, it's like turning the volume knob down just a half a click. Hmm. So I don't really like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's a slick trick, but, and, and if there were no left-handed pots available, if there were no reverse audio taper pots available, then it would be, I think, worth doing. But I can get, I can get reverse audio taper pots, so. Right. There you go. Well, thanks, Tyler. But it was a really cool, that article that he sent me is really cool. And there's more than just that uh, on that web page. So I'll put that link in the show notes. It was, it was interesting. Thank cool. you, Tyler. Hi, Eric and Mel. I hope everything is good with you and your family. Could you lay out what you use to cut pickguard material? What blades and bits and saws and routers? Thanks, your loyal follower, Zach in Ohio. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. I have loyal followers. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what I use to cut out pickguard material is I use, I typically use a template, and uh, I'll take the material, and I will put it on a, either a scroll saw or a band saw to to cut it to cut it out. Um, not not to size, but I'll cut it oversize. Just right. to make it more manageable. Just to make yeah, just to make a smaller piece of material to take to the router table. So you cut out a blank that's that fits your template well. And then I use double sided tape and stick the template to the material, and I take it over to my router table. And my router table has a a, a quarter inch bit with a bearing on the tip. So the bearing rolls along the template. And doesn't cut into it. And the bit beneath it cuts the pickguard material. And this is on a router table. Right. Right. I hope I'm explaining this properly. And uh, that does a great job of uh, cutting out the pickguard just exactly how you need it to be. And uh, then the the template also has holes in it for, you know, pickguard screws and for pickup routes. And uh, for the pickup routes, I drill a hole through the material and then take it over to the, to the uh, routing table and put it on the routing table and route out the pickup hole. And to make the pickguard screw holes, it's just a simple drill bit. Just drill through. Hmm. Mm -hmm. 
If you are interested, uh, we Eric just did a time lapse of a, the process he does cutting out a uh, a pit guard on his Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that was a single ply. That was a Bakelite uh, Telecaster style pit guard. When you start cutting out uh, uh, three ply pit guards that are beveled on the edge, that mm-hmm. gets a little bit more complicated. There's a couple different ways to do that. You can either do it by hand, or you can use a a, a special blade that has a special router bit that has a, a taper to it, an mm-hmm. angle to it, and you can um, you can run it through that to get the to get the taper. But that's a little bit more complicated, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're really going to be making a lot of them. Like I, I do. I make a lot of Bakelite pit guards, but I don't make many tapered pit guards because, uh, gosh, they're actually really cheap and readily available. Right. You know, with the Bakelite stuff, I've started to find that buying those Bakelite pit guards was just getting ridiculously expensive. They really wanted a lot of money for those silly pit guards. And, uh, I found a supplier that sells Bakelite sheets, and I thought, man, I can, you know, I can make these for a tenth of the price that they're charging me here. So there's a lot more labor involved. You know, I have to cut the pit guard, and then they have to be lacquered. Right. Which takes time, and, you know, but it it's a cost-saving measure for me. Cool. You know, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Zach. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. I hope you like the podcast. If you do, you should tell a friend. Give us a nice rating on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app you're using there. And keep listening. If you want, and you should, you can participate by going to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. And the other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. That number is 757-774-8482. And you can leave a voicemail there, and I'll use that as part of the show. Thanks for listening. Good night.